Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 21 Son of a Mamasan. I rested a forearm on the roof of Ray's car. He was back behind the wheel, but this time his only passenger was the lacquered Chinese box containing the Kerouac scroll. I motioned for him to roll the window down. He pressed the button and the electric motor answered the call with a herky-jerky plunge. Are you sure you don't want to leave it in the storage unit? He asked. After all, they haven't found it so far. No. The unit is registered in Chris's name. I know they've searched his apartment, and they might well have found a bill or something linking him to it. Okay, I'll check it at the hotel like you said. Yeah, but now that I think about it, we better not use your hotel. Take it to the Pickwick on 5th Street. It's just across market about three blocks from your dump. The place was built in the 20s, and they've got a proper locked storage room with shelves. All right. What do I do with the claim check? Eat it? I like your initiative, but no. I fished out a pen and an old receipt from my pocket and scribbled a P.O. box number on it. Put it in an envelope and mail it here. That's the box we have for the agency. He shook his head. You can never be too rich, too thin, or too paranoid. I patted the side of the Aries. Godspeed, John Glenn. That's the Mercury Project, not the Apollo. Whatever. He lifted off, a trail of blue smoke wafting behind. I went after him, careful to select a route well away from the noxious exhaust. While I walked, I took out the card Chris had left with the box and examined it again. It was clear I didn't know nearly as much as Chris thought I would. It seemed safe to assume that the person I thought of as Herr Doctor was Chris's Brendan, and Herr Doctor's sidekick was a person Chris called Andreas. And from what Chris had written, they were apparently part of a polysexual family of the sort Kim had described to me. The other thing that seemed clear, as Gretchen had predicted, was that Chris's love of adventure had clouded his judgment. He must have found Corinne White's body, discovered the Kerouac manuscript, and had a run-in with Brendan and Andreas, and tried to fob off a fake scroll, all without involving the police. I lingered over the second postscript where Chris absolved me of blame for our split. I felt a tremendous relief from a burden I hadn't been fully conscious I was carrying, and would have felt even better if Angelina's kidnapping wasn't weighing on me even more. I hoped having the real scroll would give me a bargaining chip to trade for her return. Assuming, that is, that I found a way to contact Brendan without getting shot. When I got to the entrance of the storage facility, I slipped out the pedestrian gate and went down Pennsylvania until I got to 22nd Street, where there was a Caltrain station under Highway 280. I knew there would be taxis waiting for disembarking passengers, and I planned to take one downtown. As Ray had pointed out, 
I could have just as easily ridden back with him, but I didn't think he'd be particularly helpful for the interview I had planned next, and I didn't want to expose him to danger from Brendan and his clan. I found a cabbie drowsing in the driver's seat with a newspaper spread over his stomach and tapped on the window to wake him. For $22.01 plus tip, he delivered me to 415 Mission Street, the address of the tallest building in San Francisco. The 1,070-foot-high tower has been compared to everything from a dildo to a robot's middle finger, but I thought the most apt comparison had come from the female architecture critic who said that it looked like a giant tampon applicator. Danny Thompson worked for a company that had a reception desk on the 35th floor. The vast space was flooded with light from the floor-to-ceiling windows, and the view across the fog-covered San Francisco Bay to the protruding suspension towers of the Golden Gate Bridge and the foothills of Marin County was spectacular. I traipsed across a couple of acres of exotic hardwood flooring to a strange reception desk made of white plastic in the shape of a flattened marshmallow. There I was greeted by a bearded dude with his hair pulled back into a minuscule ponytail with just enough fuzz for a calligraphy brush. Welcome to Steam Power. How can I help you? I told him I wanted to talk to Danny Thompson, but it soon became clear that that by itself wasn't going to cut it. Is he expecting you? Yes. May I have your name and what this is regarding? I gave him my real name, but was momentarily flummoxed for a cover story. My eyes fell on one of those yellow signs janitors leave behind after they've mopped. The Spanish phrase for wet floor, piso majado, was printed below the English. It's about the Mahado project. Okay, he said a little uncertainly. He got Thompson on the line almost immediately. August Reardon is here to see you about the mohair project. He listened to Thompson for a moment, then covered the line. How do you say the name of the project again? I gave him a sympathetic smile. It's a little tricky. Mo, like motorcycle, ha, like ha-ha, and do, like the baby deer. Got it, he said, and uncovered the receiver. The Mojito Project, he pronounced with confidence. This time I heard Thompson's voice barking out of the receiver. Never mind, I'm coming down. The receptionist reddened and replaced the phone with exaggerated care before looking back at me. He says he'll be right down. Great. He nodded and led me through the process of using a touchscreen kiosk to print a visitor's badge complete with barcode. I had just clipped the badge on my lapel when the elevator doors opened and a smallish guy with jet black hair blew out of them. As Wong had told me, his eyes didn't have the epicantic fold and his skin tone was rather light. If you didn't know his background, you might have guessed he was Spanish or Greek but being Irish-English myself, I wasn't sure if a Brit name like Thompson was the best choice for his new identity. He moved like a bigger man, marching right up and planting himself not a foot away with his arms held akimbo. What is this about? It can't be about the Mahado Project? There is no Mahado Project, and I don't know any August Reardon. Maybe not, Mr. Kong Sheng Chai, but I bet you know a character who calls himself Wong and owns a business on Stockton Street. He pivoted without saying a word, heading back toward the elevator. Wait, I called after him. You're going to want to hear this. 
I was banking on the idea that he wasn't aware of his mother's death, or at least would want to know more details if he was. He paused and half turned in my direction. What do I want to hear? It's not a shakedown. I'm not trying to get anything over on you, but it is important, and it's not something to talk about in the lobby. He gestured to a glassed-in conference room along the far wall. I'll give you five minutes. I followed him over to the conference room where he made a point of seating me in one of the interior chairs around the big glass table while he kept the one closest to the door for himself. He thrust his hands into the pockets of his sport coat and leaned back in his chair. Clock's ticking! It was clear he didn't know what was coming, and I was starting to feel bad about the way I'd maneuvered him into the meeting. Look, Mr. Thompson, this isn't good news. Oh, it's Thompson now, is it? I only mentioned your mother's name to get you to the table. The thing is, she's dead. She's been killed. His facade cracked a little, but he still thought he saw a way clear. I read the newspaper articles about the murder at Golden Fingers, but that was a customer, not my mother, and no one from the police got in touch. No one from the police even knows you exist. And you're right, the person killed at Golden Fingers wasn't your mother. It was a good friend of mine named Chris Duckworth. That's how I'm involved. So? So what you missed was another article, a more recent one about two women being found in a Tenderloin hotel. He yanked his hand out of his jacket pocket and fumbled out his smartphone. He unlocked it and began typing furiously. After a moment, he quoted a headline. Two women shot, killed in San Francisco Tenderloin. Yes. He read more of the article, then looked up at me, tears already welling in his eyes. I told her this is how it would end. She never listened. After staring at the screen again, he said, Wait, how do I know this is really her? They don't give any names. Call Wong. I know you don't like him, but he's got no reason to lie about it. Of course he does. He caused her death or had her killed. I didn't want to point out to him that he'd jumped right from not believing that she was dead to being convinced Wong was personally responsible. No, that's the thing. He doesn't know how or why she died. He doesn't think it has anything to do with him or the association. It's a fucking tong. Okay, he doesn't think it has anything to do with the tong. Thompson sniffed and wiped his eyes roughly with the back of his hand. How do you know him? I explained to him about being scooped off the street by Wong because of my connection to Chris and my discovery of his mother and two yin in the Tenderloin apartment. He sniffed again. My mother's death. Was it a bad one? I pulled out the last of my clean handkerchiefs and underhanded it across to him. He looked down at it like I'd thrown my liver on the table, but eventually picked it up to blot his eyes. I don't think she suffered. I think they were eliminating witnesses. Witnesses to what? I don't know exactly. My friend is gay, so there was no obvious reason for him to be at the massage parlor. He was shot after hours, and there are no known witnesses to his killing. What he was doing there and who else was with him are complete blanks. I saw something flicker behind his eyes, but he covered the reaction by dabbing again with a handkerchief. Why did Wong put you on to me? He knew you'd never talk to him. He got that right, but Wong doesn't give two shits for me or my mother. He wouldn't have cared whether I knew she was dead. 
I shrugged. For what it's worth, I had the impression he respected her managerial skills. But no, he didn't send me to deliver a sympathy card. And strictly speaking, he didn't send me to do anything. I'm not in his pocket, and as a matter of fact, Wohop Toe and I have a history. I initially thought they'd killed my friend for revenge. He blinked at me. I do remember your name now. You're the one who did in Squid Boy. I nodded. That still doesn't explain why you're here. I think you know. If anyone could give me the inside scoop about operations at Golden Fingers, it would be you. You'd be helping to get justice for both your mother and my friend. I want nothing to do with my mother's world. I left home at 18, changed my name, and never looked back. But you were still in touch with her, and she must have been proud. I waved my hand at the magnificent view out the window. Of all of this, there was still a connection between the two of you. I think you know something that could help, that could explain what my friend was doing there after hours. I considered telling him I knew about the hidden room, but I was hoping he'd be more forthcoming if I didn't use it as a lever. He dropped back in his chair and looked at me across the table. She did have one thing going on in the side that could explain your friend's presence. Okay. She cleaned out a room in the basement and set it up as a kind of sex lounge. She'd rent it out to individuals and groups after hours. And Wohopto didn't know about it? No. She wanted to keep the income for herself. Her retirement fund, she called it. Is there any sort of log or calendar that would tell us who rented it out the night of the shooting? No. When she told me what she was planning, I tried to talk her out of it. And when I couldn't do that, I made her agree not to keep any records. That would have been asking for trouble from Wong and his minions. What's your job here, by the way? I'm in finance. Why? Just curious. So you can't think of any way to find out who was there that evening. He blew his nose loudly into the handkerchief. There might be one thing. She told me recently that renting out the room on a one-off basis wasn't generating enough income. She said she was talking to some sort of swingers club about leasing it out long term. I tried to discourage her. I told her it would disrupt the regular operations of the massage parlor, and eventually Wohop Toe would catch on. Did she go ahead anyway? I've no idea. Did she say if the club had a name? She did. I remember it because it seemed so odd. She said they were called the Hive's Dream. That landed like a shot to my solar plexus. Jesus, are you sure it was the Hive's Dream and not the Beat Hive? No, there was no beating involved. In the name, I mean. Who knows what kind of kinky shit they get up to. You remember any details about how she found them or who she negotiated with? Anything that would give me a handle on them? He shook his head. No, you're on your own as far as that. I don't know anything about them. He stood. Look, you better go. I still don't entirely believe you about my mother being dead. And if it is true, I've... I've got a lot to process. There didn't seem to be any point in tormenting him further. He realized his mother was dead. And while he wasn't going to shoot the messenger, he was finished collaborating with him. I got out of the chair and walked around the table to where he stood by the door. The person you want to talk to at SFPD is Lieutenant Kittredge. That will save you a call to Wong, and he'll be able to... Release the body? 
Here, he said, and pushed the wadded handkerchief into my hand. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.